0: Well, welcome back to Talking with Tech. I'm here. This is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with Rachel Mabel. How are you doing, Rachel?
1: I'm doing really good. How are you doing, Chris?
0: I'm good. I'm good. So it is that time of year again. It's the beginning of the school year. We've been saying this now for weeks, right? But I guess it's not the beginning anymore. We're probably into the first month, two months. And so a lot of IEP meetings have been happening. Have you uh, had any experience going to IEP meetings either recently or in the past?
1: Yes, I have, and I'm like, IEP meetings are so hard because I feel like at least the ones that I could I go to now that I'm in private practice they're never good. Like they're good if I'm not there because it means that like everything's fine and they can just kind of report on progress. And but the thing the the IP meetings that I go to now are very contentious, and I'm there for a reason, and it's to either you know, prove that this child can do AAC and needs it in their IEP or this child is making such you know substantial progress that they should continue to be mainstreamed. Um, so it's just it feels like IEP meetings name are are not good if, if you're you're taking your private SLP along.
0: Yeah, that's too bad. You know, I mean, I really strive to think that as a someone who works in the public school that we're reaching across the aisle, if you will, and we're doing this, you know, handshake with the private speech therapist to be like, okay, how do we get on the same page here so that it's not this contentious, you know, fight, you know, that it is a, a more collaborative effort, and so that when people come to the IEP meeting, they're actually sitting at the table with each other. There's a spirit of we're not fighting against each other. We're here for the child in the best interest, and we have this kind of a same, maybe philosophy of how we
1: should do things. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. My mama always says, catch more flies with honey. And that's always how I've approached IEP meetings, you know, before I even was in private practice, but it does me no good to come into an IEP meeting and isolate myself from the school team and, you know, not collaborate with them. Um, So it's really, but it's a hard line because, parents bring private SLPs to the meeting to have their back, right? So, and it's always kind of this school versus home fight, it feels like. And I just, first of all, I'm, I'm not a fighter. I, I don't like confrontation. I'm, I, I get along with most people. So that's just not my personality. Uh, but it's really hard because you have to help support your client, but also try to maintain a good relationship with the school and the team uh, because we need to all work together and we need to be doing things that are consistent across home and school. So it's, it's sometimes a really tough position to be in, but I'm constantly, you know, when the, when the SLP is reporting on progress, you'll see me nodding my head and smiling, uh, you know, cause it's just like, that's one thing that I can do at least uh, to, to show like, yes, I completely agree. Um, and when I, it's my turn to kind of say, here's what's going on at home. I'm, I'm constantly saying, you know, I'm seeing the same things as, you know, insert school SLP name, this, the school SLP, you know, made a, really good point in that, um, to just really try to reinforce, this is not an us against you guys mentality, at least that I'm bringing to the table, because, you know, it only hurts to, to go into something, you know, with your fists up. Um, and a lot of times it's not even necessary. Um, you know, schools are in the for the most part, trying to, you know, work with the family and it's just, we don't need to come up with fists blazing, uh, right away, always.
0: So you just gave a bunch of good strategies right there about how to complement your professional counterparts. So I'm going to throw out another one, but let's see if we can come up with some more practical tips, both for the, the teachers that are going into the, into the IEP meetings and the parents. So here's one uh, kind of a rule of thumb for me. I try and do this every time at an IEP meeting. It's not always practical. It doesn't always work, but it's the mentality I have when I walk through the door is I'm going to sit next to the parent. They're going to be on my right or they're going to be on my left, but I'm not going to be across the, the table from them. Now, always that's not always the case, but I have that in mind, like I want to be next to you, not across from you.
1: And that's really funny, actually, because I tend to not sit next to the parents um, because I'm kind of coming in on the parent's side. But I think physically, I don't want to be right next to them because then it just feels more like, you know, us versus them. And I don't want that. I want it to kind of be mixed and mingled. Um, So it's really funny that you said that because I definitely, um, it doesn't always work out that way, right?
0: Well, let's be clear, right? I'm thinking of it a school perspective, right? So when you're the parent coming into the school room and I'm there, I want to be sitting next to you as opposed to i'm the private therapist in this situation right so yeah exactly
1: um, so it's, it's funny the, that we're doing like the exact opposite
0: <laughs> yeah well the exact opposite but exactly the same right like you <laughs> yeah get the same- Yeah, that's so cool. That's another one too, which I think is something that happens, I think frequently is that the school team has already placed themselves in the room. They're physically in the room. So now the people coming in are walking into this room that is already filled with people as opposed to we're all going to hang out in let's say the office or the hallway or wherever. And then we all walk in together, which again seems like such a simple thing, but it totally, I think decreases the intimidation factor. You know, totally it makes it more comfortable.
1: You know what something else that I really appreciate, I was in an IEP meeting just recently, actually, in the last six months. And the mom brought in photos of her daughter, where she started when she started school. Um, So a picture of her, you know, three years ago, and every year, a different picture. And, you know, it seemed like a very small thing, but it was just like, you know, we kind of talk so high level at IP meetings, right? We we, we talk about the child and everything that they're doing or sometimes not doing, and we forget, like it's a little kid right? And, and I think that the picture really helps um, just make it more personal. Like, here's the little girl that we're talking about. Because um, if it's a young child, they're not in the IEP meeting. I, I realize that, you know, the older kids sometimes are encouraged to participate in their IEP meetings. But I think that, that that small act was so powerful. And we kind of like passed around pictures of this little girl and really talked about all the progress that she's made. And it was a really positive thing before the meeting got started.
0: So that is a place of growth for me, Rachel. Let me just explain that because that I've heard that strategy before, right? And parents would bring the photos into a meeting occasionally and I would get, honestly, a little insulted. Like, I know your kid. I we work with your kid all the time. I know who they are. I don't need to see a picture of them. Just five minutes ago, I was out in the hallway playing with them. You know what I mean? But then I realized, But that's because I know the kid. And so often in an IEP meeting, there are people who don't know the kid, Uh, meaning they know them on paper, but they don't know who they are. It's an administrator maybe um, that is from the central office that maybe only has met them once or twice. You know what I mean? And what you specifically said, Rachel, that I really love is that parents brought in multiple pictures so there's this breadth of where they started to where they are now so you can see this growth and that is not always the case for me where i only know who they are now i don't know when, who they were back then so like i said i've opened my mind to it at first because i was originally like what but now those two ideas that there's other people that the pictures are for and that i can see this whole breadth of who the student was that really has opened my mind to seeing those pictures in a different light
1: Absolutely. Another thing that I really try to impress upon clinicians that I'm supervising um, or grad students is that we get so focused when we're writing these present level summaries to only focus on what the child's not doing. Right. So it's like, oh, like, can't do this. Can't do this. This is challenging difficulty with this. Right. Because those are the areas that we need to strengthen. Um, So of course, naturally we focus on those, but it's so important to talk about the positive. Um, And I think a lot of people do this just naturally because we don't want to just talk about all the negative, but Whenever I'm talking about an area of weakness or challenge for a child, I always buffer with the positive, you know, Mm -hmm. they're so good at this, um, you know, we just need a little more strength, or this is emerging. Um, I think that we need to be really careful about the language that we're using when we're talking about kids, because we're SLPs, we do this all day long, we write these clinical notes, and it's very kind of, it feels very... um, cold sometimes because we're just kind of writing the facts. And here are the facts. They can't answer WH questions or they can't follow, you know, two-step directions. But this is a child. And, you know, we're working with parents and we're talking to parents about their little pride and joy. And so we have to be really sensitive. And so many times I go into to homes after an IEP meeting and the moms, especially the moms, are so deflated. They're just like, you know, this was just an annual reminder that my child isn't where they need to be. They're so far behind and they have so much, they have so much further to go. And it really breaks my heart because, you know, while that is true, they do have a lot of, you know, work to do and skills to, to acquire. I really think that we can try to instill hope and, and really talk about the, the future and, and the progress that's possible. Um, so I just I think that a lot of times it, it's, it's, really, it's really disheartening because I think the families just get really sad and it's just how can we try to instill that hope in parents to make sure that they feel inspired? Because if they don't feel inspired, they're not going to do what they need to do at home. They're not going to do that extra work because they feel like, what's the point?
0: Yeah. So you mentioned um, the words that we use, and I key in on those a lot when I'm reading reports and then when I'm writing my own documentation. So two quick strategies there that I think I hope are really practical. One is don't talk about what a student can't do because you don't know what they didn't. All you know is what they did. You don't know why they didn't do what they didn't do. So just when you state the facts, it's what they did, not what they didn't do. A student used a two-word utterance to express negation. That would be a what the student was able to do. Uh, The second strategy I would use is to never use the word is able to. So, and, and just think of it this way, Rachel, like, were you able to eat today or did you just eat today? Right? Were you able to put on your pants today or were you did you just put on your pants today? And so often I'll see what you'll see written to was able to, which often expresses like this level of difficulty or that it, that it took some sort of great monumental effort for them to be able to do it. And you're like, but I don't know if it took that great effort. I just know that they did it. And so I want to assume that, that, again, that, that presuming competence that we've talked about a million times on this podcast, that the student was going to be able to do it. I don't want to imply that it took some sort of monumental effort. They just did it. They able—not—they're able, able to do it. That's a real subtle thing, but I think it's important when you're reading and you're writing uh, reports that you're promoting not uh, this ableistic attitude. You are presuming that a student is going to be able to do it.
1: No, I completely agree. And it's these small subtleties, but they can make a huge impact. Um, and I just think that it's really important to always think through the lens of inspiring hope. Because I think that that's, it all comes down to that. Because if people don't have hope, they give up, right? And if we don't need teachers giving up and we don't need parents giving up, um, we need the opposite. So the language that we use is one tool to continue to inspire hope. Um, I was supervising a a student recently and she's like, oh my gosh, your clients love you. Like why do they love you? Oh my gosh. And so like she started like the first like week and like, she's like, they just love you. And she came back to me afterwards after, you know, maybe a month or two. She's like, I know why they like you so much is because at the end of every session, you're super optimistic and you always talk about the positives. She's like, you do talk about the, you know, what we're working on, but there's always this breath of, but I'm so excited because they're making such, such gains. And I thought about it and I'm like, you're right. Like I do, I try to always celebrate the small wins because if we're always looking at the long-term outcomes, like there's not much to get excited about sometimes because kids sometimes make really slow progress, um, and I just think that if you really zero in on what a child's doing, even if it's the most minuscule thing, if you see one micro step in the right direction, like we need to celebrate that, um, and 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 celebrate that after the session. I feel like a lot of times I used to work in a private practice in Philly, uh, just doing part time stuff, and. It was really sad because everybody would go in after the session, every, all the SLPs and the OTs, and everyone would go out to the waiting room and talk to the parents about like, this is what we did and this is how it went. And I used to have this one client that was always really late. And so I would just be like waiting in the waiting room and I would just be observing. And I always was amazed with how negative it was. It was always like, so-and-so didn't do this or they were kind of behavioral or they weren't listening or, you know, and it's, I think it's, it's natural It's human inclination to focus on negative things, right. That need to be fixed. But it was always so sad. And I I, I remember from a very early on in my career being like, I'm not going to be the SLP. It's like the bearer of bad news. And I Mm -hmm. feel like it really like after my student, you know, just recently kind of made me think about everything. I'm like, wow, like I really have put that into practice, which is really cool.
0: You know, I think that goes uh, hand in hand with coaching other professionals as well, so you want to give the good news to the parents mm-hmm. you want to make sure that there 's message of hope for them, but that same message is I think is important for the teachers to hear and all the people working with them so just you shared a story i 'm going to share one too just this past week Rachel I was doing a uh, it was a lamp words for life update training, meaning uh, at the beginning of the school year, all the all the staff working with a student that's at uh, in the secondary level uh, got together in a room for an hour. And some of them had seen Lamp Words for Life, others had not. Like the homeroom teacher was there, his job coach was there, and so we got in room. And I just did like an hour of like, here's how it's designed, here's how it's going to work. And I left with that same idea, like this is doable. Like here's how you can practically implement this device in your homeroom here's how you can do it when you're doing what's the job that he's working on right now putting mail in a mailbox okay so in sorting the mail all right here's how you're going to implement that device at the very end everyone was like they, they actually applauded they were like this is great oh my gosh thank you for doing this hour because they they left with that inspiring like we can do this we can implement this device we can all work on this together we are a we're a big family trying to implement this and help this kid because he's worth it. And if that's what we do, we're educators. And and then to get the parents on board and like, that's what we do. We educate them, you know, Uh, it's really, it was inspiring moment.
1: And I think you've touched on a really great point is that sometimes we think and talk so high level. So we kind of tell people what to do. And you gave specifics, people love specific things. If you can tell somebody a very specific thing, to do, they're more likely to do it because they know exactly what to do. Um, so it's kind of like this idea of, of some people might call it spoon feeding, but we all like to have exactly what to do already told to us. Um, we start talking like, well, you can increase fine motor skills and you can, you know, all these things, you can enrich language environments and all of these high level things that yes, we, we could do that. But we take for granted the fact that we know how to do it we know the specifics. We know exactly what routines to start working on and exactly how to to make that happen. And parents and teachers, they don't know. And so when you can give specifics, it's like, yes, it's applause worthy.
0: I think you actually even have to role play it a little bit. I mean, that's exactly what I did is I stood up and I pretended I was in front of the mailbox and I was like, okay, so here, you're going to be him with the communication device. And He's going to tell me, put in, put in, because yes, he needs to learn how to put mail in a mailbox, but he's going to learn that. And then what he really needs to learn is the words put and in and commanding someone else. And someone's always probably giving him directions what to do. How about we turn it around so he's giving us directions what to do? And I think tying it back to an IEP meeting, those sorts of specifics help bring out the picture of who a student is and what we can do, what each member of the IEP team's role is when they're designing that IEP is that you can bring these little stories into and bring them back together to gel into the entire plan for how it's going to work and for an entire year.
1: Absolutely. And yeah, talking about specifics too, I love giving specifics on what level of support looks like so, and that's something that I always coach when I'm doing grad students and, and CFYs and things like that with their clinical rating, is that like, we need to know how, like we need to paint a very vivid picture as to how we elicited this. So if another SLP picks this this document up, can know exactly what worked, right? We spend hours and hours doing treatment and figuring out, oh, wow, they really you know, respond well to this phonemic cue or, you know, a gestural prompt um, and really making it explicit on this is how they can succeed. And I think that those specifics are really helpful too, um, you know, in IEPs because if there's a new SLP that starts or, you know, they go to a different school district, it's really important to have those specifics because we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We don't need to spend hours and hours figuring out, oh, wow, phonemic cue worked great for them.
0: Let me ask, how do you think that should be documented? Would you put that in an IEP someplace or do you keep it separate? And do you think it should only be text-based? Could you have multimedia? Should there be videos and pictures and a whole portfolio for a student? What are are your thoughts?
1: I love the whole multimedia angle. I've just found that some schools are like, it's it's a hard no. So I love using videos because you can show in a video in 30 seconds what would take hours to write in our report or a note or an email and so like you said the best way is to show so what's better than actually showing a video of what the child's doing and how the therapist supports the child in whatever they're learning or doing but sometimes school districts aren't into that because they're like oh we can't the privacy and all these things Um, i think there's some late adopters when it comes to utilizing technology Obviously, everyone who's listening to this podcast is not a late adopter, and we embrace technology with open arms, but I think that that, it becomes a little tricky, but I think if you are in a school district that welcomes technology and utilizing multimedia, I think it's really effective.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, with the school district, one of the reasons maybe there, you said it's like a hard no sometimes, is because a picture is worth a thousand words, right? So, and a video could be even more. I could see people possibly spinning what they're seeing in the picture or seeing what uh, they're seeing in the video or what they're not seeing in the video. And I guess that could happen with text too, where you can kind of, there's a spin that happens, like a political spin and marketing and how you can turn a perception, right? And so I think that's where sometimes administrators get nervous for those sorts of multimedia, but that doesn't take away the power of what it could show, you know? And so it's trying to find this, you know, think short videos might be a way to go. Like it doesn't have to be a long 15 minute thing, what we're doing in the classroom. It can be a specific focus strategy. Look, all I did was prompt him this way. And then all you're seeing is his hand on the device. I mean, how much trouble can we get in? And we're showing that sort of video here. Maybe that would be a way to go.
1: I, I don't know. I'm, I'm posing it as a question. And I think that's, that's really great because the IP meeting is a rare opportunity to have the entire team devoted attention to one child. Um, And so you have the OT and you have the behavior therapist and you have the teachers. Um, It's just such a great way. And that's one of the things I love the most about IEP meetings is that we can all share strategies. And I'm constantly writing things down like, oh, wow, like I can start helping with things that OT is working on and behavior. And it's just such a great opportunity for multidisciplinary collaboration. And I, I think the best way and the most efficient way is to show, not tell. So I would encourage any any open-minded IEP teams, I guess, uh, to just utilize technology. And, and I think it kind of starts with the parents, because I think we need parent approval, we need parent permission. And so parents are kind of the, the leaders, I think, because nobody wants to just like pull up a video and start showing it. Um, I think it's a it's a parent's role to, to showcase um, or at least grant permission to the team. Um, I do a lot of stuff uh, with video and I'm constantly, just from a, a legal standpoint, getting permission um, just to make sure that parents are okay with this as, as a tool to document progress and share strategies and things like that. So I think the first step is if you're an SLP, um, talking to your administrator, if you're in the schools to see if it's okay. Um, uh, but then of course getting the proper documentation that it's, you have permission from the parents and, and having an open conversation with them about it.
0: Okay. Now here's something I'd like to ask maybe the people who are listening to this podcast right now. Would you like to hear more about specifically how we write or how people might write goals into the IEP? We probably won't do that now, Rachel, right? But maybe if people are interested about it, they could go to the Facebook group and they could leave a message saying, yeah, we would love to hear an episode or hear about uh, writing goals. That and then also... How do you write the the device or the system into the IEP? Is it an accommodation? Do you put it in the goals? Where does it get documented? All those sorts of questions. Would you like to hear more about that? I think that would be great to hear back from the, the listeners to make sure that we're on the right page, like that people do want to hear about that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great idea. So if you haven't already joined our Facebook group, it's called Talking With Tech, and you can post a question. You also can feel free to email us if you don't wanna post a question to the group. We just assume everyone just wants to post all their questions and talk to us on a, a public forum. But if you're feeling a little shy, Feel free to leave us a direct message on Facebook um, so that we can we can hear from you because we love supporting you guys. We're actually going to have an entire episode dedicated to your questions coming up. So if you have questions, be sure to post those in the group, um, you know, or direct message us because we would love to get your questions and answer them. Um, we're going to, like I said, have an entire episode dedicated to it. So be sure to get your questions in stat.
0: Yeah, like the listener feedback episode, listener question episode. I'm really looking forward to doing that and, and, and reading all the questions again because some of them we've answered in Facebook, but then maybe answer them in the, here on the podcast. It's going to be exciting. So, Rachel, let me tell you about this interview that we've got coming up here. So, this is Eleanor Francis. You're not going to believe it, but this person was a stranger. I had never met before, never heard of before, but uh, she came and stayed in my house for four days and stayed with my family. We took her around to see Washington, D.C., and she's a speech therapist from Australia she knew people and i knew people and we knew you know mutual people and they just kind of hooked us up and said she was coming to stay here and for uh, for a little while a little vacation and she was wanted to learn more about aac and she wanted to spend some time with people working in that field. And so she spent four days with me and went, went around with me for a day and a half to, to my school, I got permission for her to come. And we just had these awesome conversations over and over again about uh, how AAC works and where she's where she's working in Australia. And uh, I thought, oh, geez, over and over again, and Rachel was like, yeah, we should be recording this. Oh, I wish I was recording this right now. This would be great for people to hear. And so we just sat down at my kitchen table and we flipped down the record button. We had a conversation about all the things we talked about. It's all about video modeling and how just how much AAC has blossomed in the last four years. You can imagine how many kids had it four years ago and how many kids are having it now. So we talked a little about that and, and, and so much more. Without further ado, here's Eleanor Francis. Welcome back to Talking With Tech, and I'm here today with Eleanor Francis. How are you doing, Eleanor?
2: I'm good, thanks, Chris.
0: So let's tell everybody quickly where you are right now.
2: So I'm at Chris's house. What? I've been staying with him for the last few days. He's very, very kindly put me up and shown me around D.C., so I've seen all the sites. And I've been lucky enough to just follow him around for the last two days at work as his work as an assistive technology.
0: Now, have we met before? I mean, why, how, let's tell everybody like why you're here, you know?
2: So I'm here because I wanted to get away from the Melbourne winter and all the really grumpy, uh, snotty children. And so I booked a ticket to come to America because I really wanted to learn more about AAC and how people are implementing it well around the world. So I met somebody in Melbourne who said, yep, you can come and stay with me. And then I've filled in all the other gaps with other assistive technology and augmentative communication people. So, yeah. Yeah, Where are you headed after Washington, D.C.? So Washington, D.C., then I'm going to go on a little bit of a holiday. And then I'm off to Columbus, Ohio to follow around Lindsay Payton Cargill at the Bridgeway Academy for two weeks. And then I'm off to the PAL seminars with John Hallahan and Bruce Baker. So it's a real AAC odyssey.
0: That, that is, sounds like an exciting trip. So you're a speech therapist that works in a school in Australia?
2: Yes. So I'm a school-based speech therapist in Australia and I work in Victoria. So all the different states in Australia have slightly different school systems, but the school that I work in is a special developmental school. So every everybody at my school has been diagnosed with a moderate to profound intellectual disability. And we serve as children from the ages of four to eighteen.
0: Over the last four days that we spent together, right? it's been four days. Mm, it? Yeah, yeah it came on days, Saturday. Yeah. To, yeah. Uh, so over the last four days that we spent together, we've had many conversations about augmentative communication and what it, the differences uh, and similarities and a lot of similarities. right? So
2: many similarities. I feel like a lot of the same challenges all over the world is what I'm sort of gathering with um, you know communication partners. Device abandonment, trying to train up all the communication partners, get parents on board, get kids on board.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. the same issues, I think, every place. <laughs> One of the things we were talking about over the last four days is how you had some success like four years ago when you started. How many users of an augmentative communication system did you know?
2: So I've, I'm i still a pretty fresh, speechy. I only started at my school four years ago and I was a new graduate there. And when I started, we had some picks throughout the school that was being used um, but there was two or three high-tech communication devices and from what I remember seeing, they weren't being used a whole lot, which I think is a very common story.
0: Mm-hmm. We no. had a,
2: Yeah, we had a subscription to Prolo quota go, but it wasn't really being used. None of the staff knew how to use it. And really excitingly, earlier this year when I had to send home notes for interest for parent AAC groups, I had to send notes home to 60 different families. So we have
0: 60 different families, 60 different users. of, the, And so in four years, you went from two to 60.
2: Yep, two to 60, which is pretty crazy. And that's still scratching the surface. So there's 118 students at my school and we've got 60 who currently have set up with something that we think, yep, that's pretty good. We need to get you your own device. So a lot of them are using school-owned iPads and, um, There'd be another 20, 30 students who I just still need to figure out, and we're working on getting them something. So, most of the students at my school are functionally nonverbal, and there's a place for AAC in all of their lives. So, it's about finding the right thing and slowly working our way through the list.
0: Yeah. No, so, one of the other things we talked about, because there's like a hodgepodge of conversations, and now it's like, oh, the whole time, for the last four days, I kept thinking, oh, we should be recording that. Oh, we should have put that in the podcast. Oh, we should have that conversation would have been great, right? And so now we're trying to catch it all up trying in Trying to one. just pick them all. So one of them was, what does it mean to have an A student or a D student or everything in between?
2: So an initiative from the Victorian Education Department. Which... So not
0: all of Australia, just this par- portion of Australia.
2: Yeah. So right. just this portion of Australia. So the education departments around Australia work quite separately from each other. So they might have a look at what the other states are doing, but generally working fairly independently so it was identified that we had these set goals and standards for all schools across victoria and they suited children from school starting school age what you're expected to in prep or your first year of school all the goals you're supposed to be achieving all the way through to year 12. these are all what we would expect we have a continuum of goals that are across a wide variety of things with you know your reading skills your literacy skills your math skills there was nothing for the kids that weren't yet at that level so everybody who starts at my school is there for a reason they're not starting prep when and they have prep skills so they identify this as an issue and a group of schools got together and they've developed a goal bank so there's now levels a to d which are all the things that you all the skills that you would have before you start getting into those early skills so a level a student Most of the goals are around them showing more interest in their environment. So essentially they're just present through most activities Mm -hmm. as they currently are. A level B student is starting to use single words functionally. A level C student is stringing short sentences together that are addressing their basic needs. And a level D student is starting to express opinions about the world and express things outside their immediate environment. And once you are achieving those things, then you're moving on to the mainstream curriculum, you're moving on to the things that most people are doing in their first year of school.
0: Gotcha. So it's A through D, and then you move on to the mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That is a great way to, we struggle with that. At least I know I have struggled with that in the past, as far as how do you assess and and quantify the uh, growth of a very young student. When I say young, I mean uh, language age young, you know what I mean? You know, brown stages of, Mm. how do you do that before, When someone's like pre-Brown Stage 1, and that sounds like what you're trying to do, right?
2: Yeah. Uh So it's essentially, we're trying to catch those kids that weren't catchable. They were just sort of sitting, being present in classrooms. They weren't being engaged in learning. Mm -hmm. So that's been a real part of this process has been developing those skills and identifying them. So things like joint attention are being identified within the curriculum as a really important prerequisite skill for so many other learning opportunities
0: Cool. That is cool because you're from Australia, and there was the uh, Isaac Conference just happened there in Australia. There was a little little, a little exciting conference. thing recently,
2: yeah. <laughs> but you
0: didn't get to go, did you?
2: Yeah, I might have caught a plane up there and really, really enjoyed all the days. So I went to two pre-conference workshops and then four days of conference. So oh I did my gosh, a full six days of crazy, intense, amazing, amazing professional development.
0: So what are some of your takeaways? What were some of the experiences you had there for those, us, that Rachel and Lucas and myself and all the other people that would like have loved to have been able to go and couldn't go? What did you, what are your takeaways?
2: So many. Um, <laughs> it was unlike other conferences I've been to, wasn't all completely new information that made me go away shaking with fear going, what have I been doing? It was more of, it was reaffirming a lot of things that I already knew. So like core vocab's not new to me anymore. So that's great. I didn't have to go away and be worried about that. So um, just reaffirming literacy for all. I think literacy was a really, really big focus in a lot of the workshops and how important literacy is and how you start literacy with kids who never would have been considered for literacy. So looking at alternative pencils and the fact that you don't need to know the alphabet, you don't need to be interested in the alphabet, to start seeing the cause and effect between you choose a letter, I put it down on the paper and we talk about what you've written about. Mm -hmm. So really talking about turning thoughts into a product, that was the really big thing that they kept affirming. So this was with the Project Core people.
0: So Karen, Erickson, Karen
2: Erickson, David Haver he didn't make it over, but just it was, go. it was all of their work together. And gotcha. it was just amazing. And all the videos and Linda Burkhart did a fantastic pre-conference workshop, which was about cortical vision impairment and physical needs and looking at how do we access these materials for these guys? And what are the different strategies to get them engaged in learning and more interested in looking at things? I would definitely say as well, it was a great exposure to lots of, I think what you call end users.
0: People who are functional users of the device and, and be able to say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. Right? Snug or communicators. Not just, yes,
2: snug yes. communicators. Snug. Yes. So there were so many consumers there. It was absolutely amazing. And so many, so many presentations were done by AAC users of wide wide variety of devices so there was lots of people who use switch lots of people use eye gaze lots of people with direct access and the majority of the presentations they pre-recorded the presentation but they did an interactive Q&A and that was great because you could see like it takes a while for you to get that message out but that was all you Mm -hmm. and it was really really great and hearing some of the stories a lot of the stories about their journey with AAC and the barriers and successes they had, but also just learning about them as people. That I found really, really great because all their interests and these amazing things these people were doing, they're off at university and they're um, scuba divers. So oh my gosh. <laughs> my new Facebook friend and one of my favorite people in the world now is Jeppe Forchammer. And he is a member of Denmark, Isaac, Isaac Denmark and he is a huge scuba diver he's currently traveling around australia and he um, has been to 38 countries he's got tattoos from all over the world <laughs> awesome. he's done over 50 dives absolutely amazing and you just go you're living your best life look at you <laughs> yeah
0: yeah look at this
2: and then i look at my kids at school and go okay how are we getting there from here because we've got you know how many more years have we got and how are we going to get you to the point where you're going to continue on your journey? Yeah.
0: Where you can go scuba diving. And exactly. And you can go and do whatever you want to do. You
2: can tell someone I want to go scuba diving. Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I think one of the things I think I know I would miss about not going to an Isaac conference is being to be able to spend time with those people who are actually functionally using the devices. You know, I get, I've known in the past where I've been able to spend time with the device users. There's been so many eye-opening moments, you know, like for instance, um, a few years ago, I got to go to Australia, which I think is where we first saw each other. I saw you. You might've
2: seen me. I was in the audience. (laughs)
0: Um, But I got to spend time with Fiona Given. It's incredible. She was a famous user in Australia. And an
2: amazing lawyer. Yeah. She's Yeah, incredible.
0: And I remember sitting, having uh, lunch next to her, with her. Uh, We were at the whole table was having lunch. So it wasn't like I was just one-on-one with her. It was like we were all having lunch together, but realizing that with the way she was using her communication devices, that it wasn't just a one communication device that she was using, but it's a whole system that she uses. So that it's sometimes she uses this device and sometimes she uses this other device. And sometimes she uses a, or or other users would use uh, some sort of low tech system or board, you know? And so I really changed my mind about thinking. uh, And I, I know we have these conversations frequently in our school district. We'll say we have to have a device and then we have to have a backup device. And I, that, that moment with Fiona was one that is crystallized in my head is thinking, I don't think she thinks of those systems, those different devices as different systems. It's all one part of the same system. And I don't think she thinks of them as backups. I think she thinks of it as this is my primary, and then this side is my alternative. So these are my alternative devices.
2: Yeah, which is true multimodal communication, isn't it? If we think about all the different ways we communicate, we talk about augmentative and alternative communication as being anything that you do apart from speech, then we're talking about all oh, our gesture and our body language.
0: I'm nodding right now.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, which you can't see. Great great podcast chat. Uh, so one of the great things that Yeppe said, he did a poster presentation that was incredible, and he really wanted speech therapists to think about the way that they interacted with and taught people to use AAC. He wanted it to be more about a conversation. And his big takeaway point was that over 80% of what we communicate isn't with the words we say. So much more of it is how we express with our bodies. So he really, really wanted to tell people that it was really important to, when you're working with a student, you don't have to be directly across from them, but at least be on the side. Think about it as natural a communication Um, interaction as it can be and really teaching those kids what body language looks like so that they know what to look out for because all the different cues that they're missing so you're missing the joke because you're missing the intonation you're Mm. missing all these different things that are going on and he um, has an eye gaze system which he does use but he prefers to use partner assisted scanning and a lot of that is it's about the human connection and you're much more part of a conversation when you're not looking at a screen
0: Mm-hmm. Which I think is one of the big benefits also from Australia. Pod, the whole system of pod is that you're with somebody else, right? Are there any other takeaways from Isaac that uh, stand out in your mind?
2: I think just watching all these really accomplished AAC users joking with each other and, you, you know, telling each other off and stuff. That was amazing. So you've got people ripping around the place in power wheelchairs just to go over and type something in their device to, you know, hurl a new Australian slang at a new person that they met. I think that was really incredible. And I always love at conferences going around and seeing lots of the different vendors and a lot of the things that are on the market because you can Google away but it's a different thing to actually be like, oh, this is the key guard you've got. That's not going to last two seconds in one of my mm-hmm. classrooms, whereas when you look online it's hard to know. So I think that's the other thing, just having access to all this technology that you never get to hold in your hands unless you've waited three months to get a trial of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm cool.
0: all right going back to your school for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that you do at your school that you were telling me about again Mike it's a great conversation we need to record this is something called Me TV right It's something about video modeling. can you tell us a little bit about yes me TV
2: So meTV is a really exciting thing. It started at a school called Mount Evelyn special School so it was Mount Evelyn TV. They're now called Yarra Rangers, and YRTV doesn't work as well, but it's still called MeTV. <laughs> yeah, MeTV definitely has a better ring. Yeah, yes. so MeTV was created by Shane Spence and it's based off the principles of video self-modelling and extended peer models, video modelling. So basically um, giving lots of great examples of expected behaviours um, that we want to see by showing peers and adults doing those behaviours so and it's all staff and student made so our school has um, an episode every week it's about half an hour and it's all staff and students there's a feature on each different department in the school so we have a junior a middle and a senior department so each week they'll be highlighted what are the middles up to this week Let's have a look at the matter of basketball.
0: Let me stop you there for a second and make it clarify. Uh, So junior, middle and
2: seniors, seniors,
0: what are the age ranges for those groups?
2: So we have a kindergarten program, which would be, it used to be three-year-olds and four-year-olds, but we now have a four-year-old kindergarten program. Okay. You'd start our school at the age of five and you'd be in the junior school between five and nine typically. And then 10 to 14, you'd be in our middle school. And at 15, you move into the Pathways program, which is sort of transition to end of school, trans- transition to out of school life. And that's in the senior school.
0: That's the seniors. Gotcha. So our
2: seniors are out of the school most of the day. They're gotcha. um, off on work experience. They're doing paper rounds, They're um, dropping off food to people. They're You never see them. It's very hard to catch the seniors because they're out all the time.
0: But they're still part of the MeTV
2: still part of me tv so we'll have a look at them out on work experience you know this is a video that such and such took when they were out so it's a great way to build the school community because you don't necessarily know everybody else but you might see them on your they might be on the same bus as you but it's a really nice way and the kids love seeing themselves and each other and pointing everyone out so it's really nice in that way too
0: you were saying there's these different departments
2: different department
0: like like for instance you're the numeracy witch Uh, and someone else does a different character we have
2: a series of um We have a few different characters and we're all very competitive with each other. So I cover numeracy and I'm a witch, so I'm Butter speech there. Some witch. (laughs) The idea behind me doing numeracy is that we need to talk in every subject. Like this is the whole thing it comes back to with oh Eleanor's here, it's time to go get your talker. Or it's time for speech, it's time to do some talking. That's not what it's about. That's not what we say. We don't say, Oh, English class is finished. I'm gonna put the tape back over your mouth now and you can head off to science. That's just not how. it works and so many other subjects elicit so many exciting things for language so science for example science experiments how much great vocab and how motivating is a science experiment you want to be able to be using your talk while you're there as well so we've got uh, numeracy we cover phonics we cover, um, we now have a core word section. So we have Princess Cora, who does core words <laughs> for us.
0: That's great. I love that it's not you as the speech therapist. You think they get most the places. Not a speech therapist. Oh, it's a different one speech One of therapist. our
2: other speech therapists. So we're very fortunate that we have four speech therapists in various roles across the school. And um, so one of our other lovely speech therapists is Princess Cora, and she does core words for us. And then we have staff it's often me or some of the junior staff members will take videos of students using the words that are coming up so mm. we'll be like okay next week we've got stop and go guys let's get as much footage as we can and we'll use that in the video so there'll be an introduction some explicit teaching around this is how you find the word this is the word and an adult will go through and do a few perfect models of playing an activity with stop and go and then let's see what room five did with stop and go And then we go over to the footage with room five and they get to see themselves and everyone else gets to see room five and go, oh, I saw you on me TV is probably the most commonly said phrase around our school because everyone's going, oh, I saw you on me TV. I saw juniors this week, juniors on me TV. That's what everyone's talking about. So we have numeracy phonics core words. We have science. We have Professor Waikikamukau, who does our science. We have somebody who, Dr. Featherbottom, covers social safety which covers personal hygiene, um, feelings, emotions. Also, um, we cover feeling safe and feeling unsafe, which is very, very important, and independent skills. We have Cyber Girl who does cyber safety, which is another really important concept. And yeah, it's just a really nice way to build in some um, explicit teaching and also those lovely peer models.
0: Yeah, and the kids are part of creating the videos and and sometimes they star in the videos
2: yes we actually have we also one of our senior students has his own segment and he goes and interviews people so he does a very tough hardline interview where he'll burst into your office and you sit down and he talks to the principal and says so you know Scott what's it like being a principal and tell me all about the different things you do what did you you know what did you do at uni to get here what did you do at school to get here uh, what what things are you interested in? Do you have any kids? So he'll do it. Sounds great. He's like our roving photographer. We have someone else who um, goes and interviews people about their pets. So it's very, very stuff and student oriented
0: it's behind a firewall though right meaning only the you know the families in your school and your kids get to see these videos at the current time right it's not like you can go on youtube and we can all watch it no you know?
2: correct it's only available to our staff and students and it's a privacy issue mm-hmm. if you do go to the me website there are some examples there that the creator has put up and some of the original examples a few schools do publish them we choose not to mm-hmm. but there are a lot of there should be quite a few examples out there now
0: so if a listener was like Hmm, that sounds kind of interesting, and I've got a wacky staff, and I could be the numeracy witch, or I could be uh what was one of the name of
2: uh, Professor Wacky Kamukao?
0: Yes, and professor Featherbottom dr Featherbottom. Dr. Featherbottom, and then candy. Uh,
2: Princess Cora.
0: Princess Cora, but can who candy?
2: Oh, Chip Candy. Chip Candy. Chip yeah. Candy, who teaches you about healthy eating, and he is a he has historically been a big favourite.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And Chip being, Candy is what does he teach again? He talks about um, health, making healthy choices with food.
0: But I mean, what class does he teach?
2: Oh, he is our maintenance guy. Oh. So he he takes a lot of students out and around, and they learn they do mowing. They go pick up hardware supplies, go get a sausage of bunnings because they're tradies. Um, so he does all that stuff, fixes up all the bikes, and he's also a TV star.
0: That's fantastic. That's fantastic. You get the entire staff involved. Absolutely,
2: right? everybody's involved.
0: So that sounds great. So there's a lot of opportunity there for people to kind of mimic that and say, we could do we could do something like that in our school.
2: Yeah, so if you do go to the MeTV website, and there's also um, some links in there and there's some information out there, I can give you the links to it.
0: Yeah, we can definitely um, put those right in the show notes.
2: Yeah, a lot about um, video self-modelling, the evidence behind it, and how it links with school-wide positive behaviour support, which I think is a bit of a, it's a thing here as Definitely well. Definitely started mm-hmm. over here. Um, so the links between um, video self-modelling and SWPBS.
0: So... You only have a couple more weeks left here in the United States. You're going to go spend some more time learning from people who are doing AAC, right? and Teaching it. Yes, that's the hope. (laughs) um, How are you collecting notes and what are you going to do with all that information besides just take it back?
2: I've been crazily writing everything down. So we've had all these conversations and I've gone, oh, I wish I was recording that yeah. because I could remember it for later. So um, I'm actually going to be compiling a couple of blog posts on behalf of Liberator, who is the printer on company in Australia, the Australian arm of that. So I'll be just trying to write down any really golden nuggets of information that I get as I go along and that will be posted on their website.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, all the best. I can't wait to read them. And as soon as we see when they're posted, we'll be sharing them like crazy on our Facebook page. So any last final thoughts?
2: From working with parents and working with teachers, one of the, and even just my own learning, one of the really big things with using AAC is a feeling of self-efficacy. So feeling like you can give it a go, feeling like you're not going to be an absolute failure when you try it, because I think that's a really big barrier for a lot of people is this is a completely new thing. Maybe I've only got one student on it. Maybe I've never seen it before. It look, it's a completely different setup to everything I've seen before. But having really good training and coaching, leading to feelings of self-efficacy, like I can do this, is one of the most powerful things. Having a success with a student just boosts you on so much further. And so giving people as many opportunities to be successful as possible, I think is the greatest thing you can do for supporting them
0: awesome awesome. well Eleanor thank you so much for being here I really appreciate it like
2: okay thanks so much for
0: having me anytime come not on back
2: not just
0: here at your house <laughs> absolutely anyone else wants to come stay with us come on over we'll talk AAC at the kitchen table so and we've totally enjoyed having you here and uh, hope you come back
2: no I'm sure I will thank you so much
0: welcome back to Talking With Tech. What do you think, Rachel? What did you think of that interview?
1: I loved it. And honestly, it's so rare, I find, to be in a room with another AAC specialist. I think that it's just so fun to kind of geek out on AAC stuff because as the, as the specialists, we're kind of not always around other AAC people. So I think it was really cool to listen to your conversations and I'm jealous. I want somebody to follow me around and I can talk about AAC stuff all day long.
0: Well, maybe if we got enough people to participate in the contest that we have, well, it's not really a contest. What is it? It's like a challenge, right?
1: It's a challenge. Yes. That it's, a, a way? it's a challenge to get 100 reviews on iTunes. So right now our producer has informed us we have 31 so we have 69. I don't even know if that's the right number. I'm really bad at math. We have so many to go. So please go on and leave us a review. If you like our podcast and you like what we do, we're really trying to get to 100 by 20, 2019. So the end of the year. Uh, it's September right now. So we have a few months to go. And- I'm going to keep you posted on how how far along we're coming with this challenge and how many people have given us reviews. Um, so please go on iTunes and and rate us so we can we can meet our challenge.
0: Yeah, I think you can do that right from your phone. I mean, it can be like giving a, a number of stars. Does that count as a review or do people really have to type text in? What, what's the criteria here, Rachel?
1: I'm pretty sure they can just click how many stars. So give us. Give us the amount of stars that you like, but I love reading all the comments. We've had some really wonderful reviews where people tell us very specific things about what they like. Um, so I would just love to, to hear your feedback because the more we hear from you guys, the more we can tailor what we do to your interests. And if there's something that you love that we do, we'll keep doing it. If there's something that you don't like that we're doing, or maybe there's something you think we could be doing more of, we would just love to know. So be more specific. I think that that's that's my goal. But at the end of the day, I'll take whatever I can get. So if you just want to go on and click five stars or four stars or whatever you think, that would be great too.
0: And while you're there, feel free to subscribe so you don't miss any sort of future episodes that come out. And this way you'll get everything right to your podcast feed. So that's hit the subscribe button down at the bottom of the podcast app, or you can do it right from iTunes.
1: So for Talking With Tech, I'm Rachel Madel, joined by Chris Bouguet. we will talk to you guys next week.